You know, there were many interesting occurrences that happened surrounding the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and it's something that um, we could spend months on in teaching all of the uh, paradoxes or unique occurrences, situations, things that seem so odd and so out of the ordinary, but I've narrowed it down to three. And this morning, we're looking in this series, Paradox, short series, three messages. It leads us to Easter. Um, this morning, I want us to focus our attention in Matthew chapter 26. It's a story that um, is recorded in, in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of this uh, betrayal. It's a, it's a tough scripture to read. It's a difficult story to encounter because we have on one side uh, the loyalty, the faithfulness, the love of Jesus, and on the other side we have one of his own who has lifted up his heel against him and, and betrayed him, turned him over, sold him, if you will, uh, to the religious leaders which began the whole process of the passion. And I know that many of us can probably relate to being betrayed. Um, you may have been betrayed by a friend or a family member, maybe even a spouse, I don't know. You know what it felt like to be betrayed. And I just want to say this up front, is that when we talk about being betrayed in our own mind and, and in our own experiences, it typically happened from something that we didn't see coming. We didn't know that it was going to happen. And therefore, that surprise factor that takes place causes even a little deeper cut and, and a little deeper pain. But we can't ever assume in the Scriptures, and I would never teach, that Jesus didn't know it was going to happen. Jesus was not ignorant of this fact. Jesus is God. He is all-knowing. So he had full awareness of all the things that were coming to him. And so he wasn't taken by surprise in the betrayal. Let me say just a few quick things. Um, is that Jesus had chosen Judas as one of the twelve. Um, Jesus, you may remember, the Gospels tell us that he went up into a mountain apart from everybody and prayed throughout the night and then came down from the mountain earlier in the Gospels and chose the twelve that, that were going to be his apprentices, who were going to be his disciples, his followers. And Judas was among them. Judas was one of the twelve. I want to restate that. Judas was one of the twelve disciples. And the Bible tells us that this occurrence... Um, as I had mentioned to you, being betrayed, David also felt betrayed. King David. In Psalm 41, verse 9, he says, My own familiar friend who has eaten of my bread has lifted up his heel against me. David, in his psalm, is, is praising God, but he's also recounting that painful moment where one of his friends had betrayed him. And Jesus, in John chapter 13... You don't have to turn there, but you can jot it down. In John chapter 13, when Jesus is having the discourse with the disciples in the large upper room as they celebrated Passover and the Last Supper, Jesus knew who his betrayer was going to be. Jesus knew what he was going to do, when he was going to do it. He had all awareness of everything that was going to take place. And Jesus turned to Judas and then turned to the twelve and said that the scripture or the prophecy might be fulfilled. And Jesus quoted Psalm 41, verse 9. Jesus said that the betrayal of Judas to Jesus was actually a fulfilled prophecy. So it did not take anybody by surprise. This moment of betrayal, as we're going to read in just a moment, happened at one of the greatest trials of Jesus. 
This was a moment that is recorded where he has left the large upper room and they've already been in Jerusalem. They have instituted, they have celebrated the Passover, instituted the Last Supper. He has washed the disciples' feet. They sang a hymn and then they went out to the, the Mount of Olives. They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane is where Jesus left the twelve or left the eleven, brought three a little closer to him, Peter, James, and John, and then Jesus went a little further from them and began praying. That is when Jesus in the Gospels made that comment uh, that if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was praying and realizing, or not realizing, but praying about the Father's will, realizing that this was the beginning of the passion, this was the beginning of his passive obedience to the Father. So he begins that moment, and the Bible tells us, the Gospels tell us, that he was so distraught, that he was under so much anguish and pressure over what was going on and what he was about to face, becoming sin for us, that he actually sweat drops of blood. Sweat drops of blood. Imagine the amount of pressure a body has to be under in order to allow blood to seep out of its pores. The Bible also tells us that he was in such a state that the angels came and ministered to him. What a tremendous moment of trial when Jesus confronts the betrayer. I want you to join me. Look in Matthew 26, verse 47. It says, And while he was still speaking, he being Jesus, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, sees him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Luke's account says that Jesus said, permit even this, reached down, touched Malchus's ear and put it back as it was. Verse 53, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Where do we begin, right? Think about this first. In this story, before we get to the actual betrayal, the actual kiss, I want you to think about something, and it's the first thing this morning, is that this story reminds us of the weakness of man. We see in this story that Jesus is, that, that this gospel outline shows us just to what links sin and a love for power and a love for money and a love for the instruments of the world, how far they'll take us. And before you think, before you come in and we sit down and we hear this, and before you start thinking in your mind that if you were in the same situation, you never would have done that, let me remind you of something. Earlier in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus is celebrating the Passover and he tells his disciples something, 
He says, this night one of you will betray me. Remember, all 12 of the disciples are in there. And Jesus tells them all, one of you will betray me this night. Before we start thinking that none of us would ever have done what Judas did, let me remind you what all of the disciples said to Jesus. Each one of them, Matthew 26 says, each one of them turned to him and said, Lord, is it I? Now think about that for a moment. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And every single one of them, each one of them, turned to Jesus and said, Lord, is it I? Those 12 men all realized in themselves that they had the ability to betray Christ. Each one of us has within us that sinful nature that at any moment, given certain circumstances, if we, are not, if we are not prepared and have that armor of God on, if our dedication to other things becomes greater than our allegiance and loyalty and love to Jesus, we also have within us that seed of betrayal. It's one moment where the disciples heard what Jesus said, they believed what Jesus said, and they realized their own fallibility. I would say in the disciples' book, that's one moment where they got it right. Weakness of man, the Bible makes it clear to us throughout the stories and throughout the accounts that it was 30 pieces of silver that Judas had contracted for Jesus. The religious leaders, you know, were put out with this man. They were upset with him. His teachings had gone against them. His teachings had had opened up their heart and revealed them to other people. The religious leaders were feeling powerless as the multitudes were coming out after him. There was envy and jealousy and anger that was all mixed up in this. And they find Judas. And they, they contract with Judas. We'll give you 30 pieces of silver if you will turn us over to Jesus. If you'll let him come to us for the purpose of killing him. He did it. I'm told that 30 pieces of silver, or I've read and studied that 30 pieces of silver was the same price, the same amount that one would give for a slave in that day. Power of money and worldly instruments can affect our behavior. We can often be willing to compromise our identity with Christ, We might be tempted to to compromise our stand on what we know to be right if there is the promise or if there is the hope that it may advance us worldly. it's, It's not so much of a temptation if there's not that promise of advance, if there's not something down here that might advance a a natural life. And we may be willing to compromise our spiritual principles in order to gain in this world. I want you to notice beyond the weakness of man. By the way, if you want to jot down 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 through 11, that's where Paul, writing to young Timothy, reminds him that we are to flee these things. What things? He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In fact, let me read that verse to you because I know the apostle um, was not there when Judas betrayed. He was not counted among the other believers um, at that time. But I I want to read to you what the apostle Paul says so it sinks in our heart and realize he had to have written this with the, with the knowledge of Judas. He had to have written this with the story of Judas. Listen to this very carefully. Second, or 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. You remember that Jesus referred to Judas as the son of perdition, son of destruction? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If he wasn't referring to Judas, along with many others, I'm sure, I don't know who he was talking about. Friends, notice this. It's not just the weakness of man that we see. Within us, that seed of betrayal that we all have, we must guard against. But second, we notice the depth of betrayal. And when we begin to really study and research the depth of this betrayal, it kind of it makes most dedicated believers, dedicated followers a little sick. You get that little acid, spiritual acid reflux. You know what I'm talking about? It just kind of burns a little right here and you, you can't get it away. Look back in chapter 26 for a moment. Notice verse 50. But Jesus said to him, friend. Why have you come? Friend, why have you come? The word friend is translated friend. It's what you would use to describe a friend, a good friend in your life. Now, obviously, Jesus is asking the question, not because he needs an answer, but because he's wanting Judas to confess. Jesus is referring to him in in somewhat of an endearing term. And I'm reminded in the scripture as he's confronted with this man who he knows what he's going to do. He knows why he's there. He knows what his intentions are. He knows in his back pocket he's got 30 pieces of silver, which is what he exchanged for him. And Jesus still refers to him as friend. This the depth of this betrayal is huge because of the closeness of the union. This was a man that was hand-chosen by Jesus. This was a man who had seen Jesus spew nothing but love. This was a man who had sat at the table with Jesus, who had, who had been fed by Jesus, oftentimes miraculously. This was a man who was in a boat, who was terrified and woke up, and Jesus calmed the seas. This was a man who had seen a dead man who had been in a tomb days come out. This was a man in Judas who had never seen anything bad, wrong, hateful, or sinful come out of this man. And yet he is doing such a despicable act to a man who has done nothing but demonstrate and communicate love. He's literally doing this to God. Do you remember when Jesus said, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Do you remember that Peter arose and said, we believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He made that declaration that Jesus is God. And do you remember what else happened? It said all the other disciples said so too. All the other disciples agreed with Peter that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. So at one point, Judas had even declared that Jesus was God. And here, the depth of this betrayal, he's coming up to a friend. He's coming up to someone who has done nothing but love him with 30 pieces of silver clanging in his pocket and betraying him. It's not just the depth of betrayal in the friendship, but it's the method that he used. You know, I think those of us who have been betrayed by a friend or a loved one, you know what, we can, we can say, you know what, we're, we're all fallible. And we can say in our heart, you know what, it hurt, it was painful, but, but I can forgive and I can move on because we too are sinful people who have been forgiven by a merciful God. But you know what, it's the kiss that really seems to hang me up. The kiss that Judas was offering to Jesus was one that was common of the day. It was where an apprentice would recognize or someone would recognize the authority And would give them reverence by welcoming them with a kiss. It was a sign of respect. 
And Judas disgraced it. You know why Judas gave a kiss? Remember they were out, it was late at night. Dark. The men have come with torches, clubs, and swords. Very little light, and there's 12 other men besides Jesus. In the other Gospels, it says that Judas tells them, the one that I kiss is the one you want. Judas used what was supposed to be an act of reverence. He used that to put a target on Jesus. Obviously, folks, obviously, his action did not match up with his intention. Now, before we move on, let me just say one thing. The act he was doing, coming to Jesus, acting as though he's giving him a sign of respect, which he would have normally done, was not, was not really for that purpose. It was, again, to put that target on him. Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that any of us have accomplished that to which the degree that Judas did. But I do have to remind each one of us, as the disciples accurately realize, we all have that seed of betrayal within us. If we're honest with ourselves, are there not moments that we may be guilty of doing something similar to that? Where we might honor him with our lips, as Isaiah said, but our heart, is far from him? Are there not moments because the words are on the screen that say Lord that we say Lord if we really don't have the meaning in our heart? Are there times that we may sing the songs and not really mean them as praise and adoration to our king? Now we might you might say pastor that happens with everybody. That happens all the time. Let me tell you something. If that's a situation and we're singing words in a state of worship to God that we really don't mean we must be very careful because that is a betrayal. We are not being honest with God in what we're saying. Our lips are saying something, but our heart is not in it. If we can't mean the words we say, then we ought to close it up. God takes loyalty and praise very seriously. And here Judas walks out. Oh, Rabbi, greetings, Rabbi, as to not throw him off. And kisses him. You know in the Greek? He didn't just kiss him once. In the Greek it's a repeated action. He's kissing him multiple times. Isn't it ironic that Judas had a band of men with him? It kind of makes me think that he was completely ignorant of the one whom he had followed those years. It seems like he probably didn't really understand that the man that could have calmed the seas, the man that fed 5,000, the man that raised the dead, the man that healed the blind, the man that raised up the lame. Are you telling me that Judas thinks he actually needs a band of men? In fact, the Gospel of John says that when Jesus said, who are you after? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I'm he. And the men fall back and draw up ready to go. Some suggest it was a military maneuver. Others suggest that the power of Jesus saying, I am he, caused them to fall back on the ground, not in a military position, not in a defensive position, but in a defenseless position. This was a tremendous betrayal. One of his own, a friend, betrays him in a most despicable way, an intimate form of reverence. And he obviously feared danger more than he did God. 
Let me show you the third thing. If you'll jump over to Matthew chapter 27. Verse 3. After Jesus has gone. Handed over. The trials begin for this innocent man. Verse 3 says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. Is that not incredibly hypocritical? Is that not insane? And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. If you keep reading, there are more scriptures to prove the prophecy was fulfilled. Think of the weight of conviction this morning. This guy was remorseful. He realizes after the fact he's turned over Jesus. Jesus is now taken into custody, willingly giving himself over to custody. He, he goes over and Judas goes back and he starts thinking about what he's done. Have you ever been there? You've done something you shouldn't have done and at the moment it didn't bother you. But then afterwards you came to a place where you were in a still quiet moment and you were being very convicted, thinking about what you'd done. Judas was showing some signs of remorse for the Gospels. Whom Judas, who, the gospel writers, whom Judas was no fan, who were, they were no fan of Judas's. For them to record that he was remorseful is remarkable. They record that he goes back, he's upset, he's angry at himself, he wishes he'd never done it. He goes back to the chief priest and tries to return it. He says, I've got my, I've got my receipt. Here it is. He goes to the customer service department at the temple and says, I want to give back my money. They say, we don't want it. We can't take it. It's blood money. So what does Judas do instead of saying, all right, I've been relieved. I've been excused. I'm going to put it back in my pocket and go on my way. He takes the money and sees that it is indeed blood money and it represents what he was willing to sell Christ out for. And he takes it and just throws it in the temple and walks away. There was a sense of remorse. So for those of you that think that he is incredibly so callous and so awful as to do this deed, let me remind you that there was some genuine demonstration of remorse. There was a change of direction in Judas's life. The weight of conviction over what he had done was so heavy, so heavy. That he went out and hanged himself. Feeling as though, obviously, he was beyond forgiveness. Feeling as though his act could never be justified. He went out and hanged himself. I know this morning in Deacon's meeting we spoke about, we had prayer for a man who had just, not, not for a man, but for the man's family who had just taken his own life and I don't know what that's like to be in such a state where you feel like you've messed up so bad that you have to end it all. Or if maybe in your heart you feel like you've done something so disgusting that God could not ever forgive you or restore you. Let me tell you today from the pulpit that there is nothing that you or I could ever do that Jesus Christ is not willing and ready and eager to forgive us for. You remember Peter? 
in that garden? Remember after he ran, after he and the rest of the disciples fled, he went to uh, the little garden, the little, the little area outside of Caiaphas's office, if you will. You remember there was a little girl there and she said, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? Peter said, no, I don't know the man. Little girl goes back, gets a few more people, comes back, says, you're one of his disciples. I know you are. No, Peter says, I don't know the man you're talking about. They come back with more people now and say, you're definitely one of his disciples because your speech agrees to it. Peter says, I tell you, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know the man. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. You know the story, the rooster crowed. Peter remembered the prophecy, remembered what Jesus had said, and he went out and wept bitterly. Do you remember when the ladies were going to the tomb to announce that he was alive? The angel of the Lord who said, he is not here, he is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Do you remember the message that the ladies went back to the disciples with? It was this. Go tell his disciples and Peter that I've risen from the grave. Jesus knew that one of his disciples was wounded. Jesus knew one of his disciples, one of his very own, was, was hurt, had failed. He knew one of his own disciples was miserable. And by God's mouth, through the words of the angels, that message went back to Peter. Peter, they want to make sure that you're there too. I believe there is not a sin that any one of us could commit in our lives, which is the good news. There is not a sin or a multitude of sins in our life that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cover if we would only allow. Amen. Last thing I have to end it on this. Beyond the weight of conviction, Judas chose to hang himself after he returned the silver. But I want you to see there were some divine acts of love. Amidst this dark moment, guys, this is, this is how God works. In the midst of this dark scenario... Peter is, is, is taking a sword out. One of Jesus' own takes a sword out, cuts a man's ear off. I mean, then the disciples run and flee. Obviously, Jesus is ensuring their safety. Judas is betraying him. This is a, this is a moment that is just rich in man's failure. But amidst all this moment where it seems to be a victory for the enemy, what we see as an undercurrent in this whole story are demonstrations of divine love. Consider this, when Judas is coming up to him, what does Jesus say to him? Friend, why have you come? Even referring to him as a friend. How can I know that Jesus was being honest when he said that? Maybe he was just saying that for record's sake. No, Jesus is true. Jesus never lies. Jesus only says what is true. He really accounted Judas as a friend. And he referred to him, knowing what he was going to do, in an endearing term. Jesus showed love to his enemy, literally. Jesus literally demonstrated an amazing love to a man who was lined up against him and sold him for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Jesus didn't just show divine love to Judas. He showed divine love to that servant who got his ear lopped off. You know why you get an ear lopped off with a sword? It's not because Peter was such a good swordsman that he was trying to cut off his ear. Folks, you swing it, you, you, you cut off an ear when you're swinging for the head. Peter was swinging to kill. And Jesus, in the other gospel accounts, 
knowing that that is a man who is the high priest servant, who is who is right under the man who is heading up this mission to crucify him. Jesus touches his ear and restores it perfectly. Talk about an awkward scenario now. If you're Malchus. And you just got your ear chopped off and now Jesus, the one you're taking in. Has just shown you an amazing amount of love by restoring your ear. Can you imagine how awkward that was as he's helping get Jesus carried off? Wow. Jesus showed love to Judas. He showed love to Malchus. I got to tell you. Jesus showed love to the disciples. In the other Gospels, Matthew chapter 27. Excuse me, John 18. In John chapter 18, Jesus said, It's me you're after. Let the others away that the scripture might be fulfilled. Of those you gave me, I lost none. Jesus made sure that this heightened situation with clubs and torches and swords that none of his disciples would be hurt, injured, or taken in. It was not their place to be crucified. It was only Jesus. One could suggest that the healing of Malchus's ear further ensured that Peter would not have been the fourth cross on Calvary's hill. Jesus showed love to all sorts. And folks, please hear this. Jesus in this act showed love to his father. It doesn't matter how hard the father's will is. It didn't matter how much blood poured out through his pores over the stress of becoming sin who knew no sin. It didn't matter that he was about to endure a whipping and a beating, much of which the world has never known, and then to be crucified, publicly humiliated, and mocked of his divinity. All of that that lied before him on the horizon, he still drank of the cup that the Father gave him. He knew what the will is, didn't regard how difficult it was going to be, but remained headstrong and devoted and committed to the will of his Father. He showed his Father love i'm convinced that we show our heavenly father more love by our actions than we do our words as jesus did here also and praise god folks he showed us love you know what he did had jesus we can debate whether he could have or couldn't have but the reality is had jesus ever sinned in this moment Had he ever referred to Judas in hateful terms? Had he ever balked at taking the next step of obedience? Had he ever physically out of anger hurt someone in this moment? You know what? He would not have been an acceptable, perfect sacrifice. Jesus showed us love. And I hope that we hear this this morning. This is the beginning of the trials of that last week. And Jesus is here just as if it's read on the page, just saying, I love you enough to endure this. I love you enough for the joy, Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despised the shame. Jesus loves you and I enough to go through what he went through to to pay the penalty for our sins that we also could be followers of his. It's ironic that last week was a rags to riches story in John chapter 5. And this week is a riches to rags story. 
This one goes the exact other way. Friends, think about what Judas lost for a moment. He lost his place. One of the first acts of the disciples is they choose his uh, fill because his place was no longer among them. He lost his money. The money that was a great motivator to him to betray Jesus then became worth nothing to him after he was weighted down by the conviction and the remorse of what he'd done. He casted it. So he literally died without the 30 pieces of silver. He lost his place. He lost his life. Didn't handle, the, didn't handle the godly sorrow correctly and ended his life rather than going on and seeking repentance and seeking uh, forgiveness. He didn't do it right. And he lost his life by his own means. You know what else he lost, guys? He lost his name. You know what Judas means? Praise. Praise. That's the base root word of the name Judas. And here is this man who is named Praise, who, had, who was called to be one of the twelve, a close, intimate follower of Jesus, an apprentice, one of the first of the early church to be able to go out and spread the gospel across all of the world. And this man lost it all for 30 pieces of silver because he betrayed Jesus and did not handle his godly sorrow correctly he lost his name i encourage you to look through search through the gospels and find a place where judas is not either referred to last among the disciples in a place of importance or referred to as judas the betrayer you'll find it in chapter 27 verse 3 judas his betrayer i don't know many people who would name their child judas today simply off of the fact of his action and lastly he lost his legacy if you think about it his only legacy is failure betrayal and death failure betrayal and death all the people strangers that came into jerusalem that died that nobody knew you know where they were buried in the potter's field or as it's called to that day of the writing of the gospels the field of blood why is it called the field of blood daddy well it's because it was paid for by the betrayal money of one of Jesus' own. Today, he still stands as a man, as a bad example for us. Tonight, this morning, it's odd, isn't it, that Jesus would be betrayed by one of his own. The one that he loved, one that he took in, one that he ministered to, one that he empowered, one that he blessed, turned on him. I know we're dealing with prophecy, but we're also dealing with people with free will. In our life this morning, in our heart right now, what's our loyalty to Jesus? Have we compromised our beliefs? Have we compromised biblical truth for the hope or promise of worldly gain? What is our relationship to Jesus worth, if you think about it like that? What is our relationship to Jesus worth? What is being a follower of Christ costing us in our loyalty and, and walk and journey with him? This morning, I'm, I know we're dealing with a lot of different folks. Come from a lot of different backgrounds. And I know we're probably on different paths in their spiritual journey. But I want to ask you this morning. Is there something down in your heart? Is that way to conviction over, your, over something you've done? 
sin in your life? Is that weight of conviction bearing you down? Secretly, you're depressed. Maybe publicly, you're depressed. You can't sleep, can't think. You know what? There is rest in the Lord. There's peace and forgiveness available to him, to you today from him. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I believe Jesus would have forgiven Judas if he only asked. And today, forgiveness stands at the end of your tongue to say, God, I know in my heart I've sinned. I know in my heart, God, that I have sinned against you. And Lord, I've betrayed you. I've said things that I didn't mean. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've not done things I should have done. God, I've betrayed you. And this morning, I want out from under this weight of conviction. God, this morning, I want a new start. If you've never trusted Christ, it's to say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you because of my sin. And I know that your son Jesus in that garden took the next step, which was the cross of Calvary. And on that cross, he paid my sin debt so he could bridge the gap to me or I could bridge the gap to him. And say, God, I, want, I need your son Jesus to be my Savior and Lord today. And I thank you for that free gift by faith. Today, maybe there's another decision in your heart. Maybe it's rededication. Maybe you're a believer, but you're not living like one. Maybe in the spot where nobody knows or nobody sees, there are issues and sin issues in your life, and you need those dealt with. You see the seed of betrayal. You see it in the mirror. You see it every day. And you want that to be dealt with. Pray, and you want to say today, I need to be rededicated. I want to rededicate my life. I want to get back on track with God. Church membership, baptism. Maybe you just need to spend some time praying, bending a knee before the Lord in quiet, humble prayer. I'm thankful that we worship a God that hears any and all prayers and answers them according to his will. Father in heaven, I thank you for this reminder that even those closest to you can betray you. Lord, there's no excuse to make for what he had done. Lord, I know that he yielded to the temptation of the things of this world. And I pray for each one of us in earshot this morning that we would look at the richest riches of the world. And we would be willing to lay them at your feet and say, not for me, I would much rather follow Christ. Father, help us to not allow the instruments of the world and the wealth and, and the pursuit of things and power and prestige and popularity. Allow us not to allow those things to be taking the place of you in our life. Help us this morning, Father, with your Holy Spirit to tear down those things, those strongholds in our life to give us freedom and liberty. Help us be the people you called us to be. Let us not be betrayers, but be renewed in our commitment to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.